This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery. I am Amy. I'm a sex addict and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Um, Welcome back to episode 20. I am super excited for you to be here today because we're starting our Women's Story Series. This episode, episode 20, will be the first of what I hope is many, very many, women who have graciously volunteered and come out to share their stories with us. And to help us gain faith, to help us understand recovery better, to help us see that every story is a little bit different, to help us gain more compassion and more empathy for those around us, and to help build hope. There is hope for recovery and there is hope for changing our lives. I'm excited to be here today with Lee. Just a a little bit of background. Lee is one of the women that I sponsor um, she, I've known her for nearly three years, and uh, I'm super excited that she volunteered. There was no coercion here or anything like that. She approached me and volunteered to share her story with us today, and we are going to spread this out over two episodes because there's so much content here. So I'm excited for her to be able to to share her story with you. So I'm excited. We're going to just get right into it because there is so much to do. So welcome, Lee. I just love if you could share a little bit with us about who you are. Great. Um, well, I'm an addict. I mean, I think that's probably the first thing <laughs> to say, if, um, like at a meeting or something. Um, <laughs> Great. <clears throat> a meeting. I, I would have to say that before recovery, I would have said, you know, I'm just a regular average mom, you know, living in a regular average house. I've moved a lot, but my life's been pretty average everywhere I've moved. I'm married. I have four kids. Uh, elementary to teenage years, if that matters. Um, but yeah, I just, I definitely am not what I would have pictured as being an addict or being in recovery. So I think for me, that kind of is a a visual of who I think I am. I'm just, I'm just a regular mom. Yeah, absolutely. So what made you decide that you were an addict? Like, how did you figure that out? What happened? Well, um... I think, you know, obviously growing up, I've had issues with um, masturbation, and I, that's weird to say that word on video, <laughs> um, but that really, to me, was more of a bad habit all of my life until um, probably about 10 years into my marriage, I would say, is when I started recognizing that some of the things that I would do emotionally as well as sexually were probably... A little overboard or unhealthy and um, it definitely it had to wait till I got to the point where I was acting out with other people online because that's kind of what's gone on with me I haven't been someone who's had what I call physical affairs I've had more online relationships as well as online acting out um, And that's kind of when it crossed boundaries for my relationship with my spouse. And so that's kind of when I guess I got a little bit of a wake-up call, you know, saying that um, this is not acceptable anymore in my my life or in my marriage. And, um, 
Yeah. So that's when I kind of had to make some plans. And I mean, of course, there's a story behind, I guess, what I call the blow up of realizing that I was having a big problem in my marriage. But um, I don't know if you want me to talk about that right now or not. Well, maybe we'll get into that. But tell me like what a what did a typical at the height of your addiction? What did like a typical day look like for you? Okay, so just to make myself feel better, I don't feel like this was a really long period of time that this was a typical. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that. But um, a typical day at the height of my acting out, which I remember as being more of your warm summer months, um, involved, which means my kids are at home. So that's kind of why I think that's important to say. You know, obviously my kids were in school initially when I started um, more in depth into acting out online. But... Uh, the, the height of it would have been either my kids being at school for a little while and then coming home or being at home. And so I was acting out probably off and on, like between like checking on things and doing laundry and making sure my kids were where they should be type thing, um, acting out probably six to eight hours a day. And I really literally got into some sort of a crazy mind frame that I thought that it was like a job for me. I didn't call it a job, but that's how I treated it. That's how I behaved is that I had a routine. You know, my husband would go to work and my kids would get ready for the day and I would get ready for the day. And when I felt like they were busy with whatever I had them doing, whether it was playing outside or they went off to school or whatever it might be, um, that's when I could start my schedule which involved contacting people online. That meant that I might have anywhere from four to ten people that I was connecting with, I would guess you would say, to kind of weed out to see who I wanted to talk to. And the whole point of talking to people online, and these were not regular websites, like if you go to Facebook and have chat, or if you'd go to even just a normal chat site where people talk about, like, you know, the weather and gardening. (laughs) It was not those kinds of sites. These were adult, online adult chat sites. And so that meant that people were going there to at least connect emotionally with other people, if not in some kind of a romantic way. And so... um, that's where I would meet men because um, that's who I acted out with was men. And at some point, I would narrow down to maybe three or four guys, depending on, you know, I guess the the interest level, that type of thing. And I would act out with those guys. Now, at, when I say acting out, that meant it could be as mild as sexual chat where we're talking about ourselves a little bit. We're getting into, you know, flirting, that type of thing. Or it could be as extreme as um, videoing myself without clothes on and um, doing mutual masturbation online, that type of thing. So uh, that's what I would uh, give as the range for the acting out. And some guys just depended on the person. Also, there was the aspect of what we call role play, which is where everything is typed. You might exchange pictures, but everything is typed. And so it's kind of your own little fantasy world, which was really kind of a huge focus for my, um, I guess, for my feeding the lust. The huge focus was fantasy and being able to create my own little story in my head because I've talked with other addicts and pretty much the thing that that I think has been a big deterrent from going to physical affairs or things like that is the fact that I don't want to deal with a real person. I want to deal with whatever my version of my head is of that person I'm talking to online. And so I think that's why going online was a very good fit for my addict. Yeah, I really like that because... 
just our last episode, we talked about intimacy disorders, right? So the idea that you didn't really want to deal with somebody in reality, right? You didn't want it to be real. You wanted to deal with the fantasy version in your head of what that person could be like or is doing for you or that type of thing. Wow, interesting. So tell us what happened. Why did you, why'd you decide to change? Well, first of all, I love my family and I love my husband. And like I would said just a minute ago, I didn't really want to deal with like a real affair or a real issue with another kind of relationship, no matter how... Um, fanciful or fake it might be I didn't I didn't want to deal with that so uh, when my online act now turned into something that I might have to actually deal with in a negative way um, it became a lot less fun and a lot less of what I needed to to deal with all of the things I wasn't dealing with mm-hmm. so because you know uh, I mean recovery we talk a lot about how your addiction is a way for you to cope with other things in your life. And definitely at that time in my life, there was a lot to cope with. And things I wasn't really sure how to cope with. And so when this became a not-so-great coping mechanism, it was causing more stress in my life. Uh, I was like, okay, I'm not sure if I want to give it up, but I know that it's not working. And that my spouse now knows about it, which for some reason completely made it even more unfun that my spouse knew about it. Like, yeah, yeah and I, I don't know exactly why. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine why. But. <laughs> Other than that he was upset. You know, I mean, right. just having him know that I was doing something. I think the fact that it was secret and it was my own thing was part of the whole fantasy. How, how did he find out? Um, I don't know exactly when he found out. Other than that it was several weeks before he talked to me about it. But the whole reason why um, he even brought it up at that time was that um, we had found out that his father had just passed away, which was really a crappy day for everybody. The background around that is that um, I was off somewhere. I wasn't acting out, but I was off somewhere thinking about acting out, <laughs> off by myself while my kids were at school. And when I, So I got called first about his dad passing away. So I had to call my husband from somewhere that... I, it wasn't that I shouldn't be there. It was that it probably wasn't the best place to call him from. So it just made me feel kind of like a jerk. <laughs> but I so I had to call my husband and tell him that his father had passed away. And that evening when I had gone back home and my husband had gone back home and we, you know, met up for the day is when we talked about his father and when he also let me know that his life, and he didn't put it this way, but basically he was telling me his life had, come, had become unmanageable. And that he could no longer deal with um, all of the things that were going on, which I was like, wait a minute, going on? What's going on? (laughs) Because I didn't have any clue that he knew anything. And I should probably have because my husband's background is in like IT work. (laughs) So it's not like he couldn't have found anything I put on the computer. Which is a sign that I was such an addict um, and living my own little fantasy land. But um, so he said, you know, we have to deal with this now or I'm going to, you know, he's going to explode or something, I guess. But I was like, yes, for sure. We have to deal with this now, you know. And I'm like just feeling like crap pretty much the whole time. And so he told me what he knew about what I had been doing, which wasn't everything, obviously. But he knew enough that. I didn't need to fill in any gaps. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was it was horrible. And that kind of started my path to recovery. I mean, that's kind of when I said to myself, the price is too high. 
because I could just see the pain on his face and <clears throat> I was just rehashing everything that everything that I had been thinking the whole you know the horrible side effects of doing something that would hurt those you care about and that was probably one of the worst to seeing his pain and then also you know realizing um, the kind of life my kids had been living for the past however many months it was uh, because of that and just a lot of the weight of that was just definitely enough to snap me out of my desire to be in fantasy because I couldn't handle other things going on in our, in our life. Um, during that time, it also was a time where we, had, my husband had had a company and it had folded um, that, that same time, around that same time period. And so acting out beyond what I had become just used to as a routine became uh, a number one source of escape for that stress. And just wanting to disconnect from my life in general because I felt like either I could find something that was less stressful or I had lots of thoughts about the fact that my family would be happier without me because I was so unhappy with my life or I was so unhappy with where it wasn't going or where it was going and just the the conflict of that inside me I kind of felt like I was not a great person I was not good to be around I was not very useful or productive. I think I was pretty much on autopilot, you know, for a lot of the things that I needed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, so it was definitely, uh, uh, ooh, excuse me, a time where my family had to take a back seat and having my husband know about the fact that they'd been taking this back seat, even though I'm sure it was pretty apparent to him that he was taking a back seat. <laughs> he just wasn't sure to what that um, took all of the fun out of it. Whatever fun I had still had, whatever escape I still had in that addiction at the, by that time, because definitely by that time it felt like a job. Like I'd said before, it felt like work. I actually even some days only did it because it was my routine and not because it felt like doing it that day. And because... I somehow got something out of it still. Mm-hmm. Some, something. Yeah. Uh, maybe a purpose. I'm not sure what it would be called, but um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's a challenge, right? When that all blows up and your husband finds out mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So what did you do? Give us a kind of a synopsis real quick of what your recovery journey looked like. How did you make those first steps to change? Well, I think the first thing was is that we were in the process actually of looking for another place to to live because my husband's company had closed. We had made a lot less money at that point. And so we had to move somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we were realizing rapidly that we couldn't move somewhere where we were currently living, the city or the state we were currently living in. We couldn't couldn't live somewhere there and do what we wanted to do. We just felt felt stuck and trapped is how I felt. (laughs) So... When we talked about moving, we had been going to his father's funeral in another state when we talked about where to move. And uh, that's when we, as we were driving through where his other brothers live, that's when we decided to um, consider that as a, as a location to move. And so <laughs> pretty much right after we got back in from, from the funeral, we started packing up to move to that state. I found out later that a lot of the reason why my husband considered where his brothers were living so heavily was in case I decided not to stay in recovery or to get into real recovery, that he would have support if I left him. 
So that was kind of crappy, but I was like, okay, that makes sense logically. But yeah, that kind of sucks. <laughs> and that, that's a big blow, right? Like I'm going to take you, physically move you to a place where I can get support if you go off the deep end. Yes, exactly. And which I cannot fault him for because he had every right at the time to do that because I definitely didn't feel stable. Right. And I'm sure I could have had a lot of relapses after that. Um, so you moved. Yeah, I moved. Like almost immediately. Yes. And then what did you do? So we moved. Um, we Another reason why we considered where we moved is because of there was access to a lot of higher education because I had been wanting to go back to school for a while. So after we moved, my kid, I had one child still not in kindergarten quite yet. He was in like part-time kindergarten, so it wasn't full-time school. So I really didn't feel like I could do something like an actual job or, or school or anything right then. Wasn't sure if we would stay there very long. So there was a lot of like variables, I guess, is the point. So I got a job as a teacher's aide once my son uh, started full-time kindergarten, and I did that until I started college in 2014. And so that's when I started going back to school. All this time, my husband's working um, at other places in retail Mm -hmm. uh, just supporting us yeah and how did you get into recovery so you move yes you get this job you get things kind of settled and then what was your steps into recovery how did you decide what to do so part of the freak out of like moving to a new place was that I would uh, be alone at home still even though my son was only part-time kindergarten initially and so I started recovery by uh, getting a workbook that did 12-step program and trying to work through the workbook on my own. I was like, I can work through this workbook. I can work with my husband and it'll be good and we'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> so your husband was going to be your sponsor and your support network. And, I don't know if he was going to be my sponsor. all that kind of stuff. <laughs> you were going to work through the 12 steps on your own and do it. Yeah, it was going to be in-house, uh, private, yeah. you know. Yeah. How did that, that work for you? Um... I I enjoyed the workbook. I won't say it was not helpful, but it was definitely just an introduction to the 12 steps, an introduction to mm-hmm. working some sort of a program, having some sort of a routine in recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, I searched for recovery groups online because there's no way I was going to a face-to-face meeting. No <laughs> way in hell. <laughs> I can say hell, right? Yes, you can say hell. You're good. <laughs> um, no. And so... I went to these online meetings for one recovery program, which isn't the one I'm in now, but they were extremely helpful. I think they were like the um, porridge before the meat and potatoes for me. Mm -hmm. So I went to these meetings and the great thing about them was I could leave my, because I was really used to leaving my laptop open and like having access to the internet and people for a while, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought if I can do that for acting out, I could do that for recovery, right? That was my thought. I'm like, I will make the computer work for me. <laughs> and so I, that's exactly what I did is I went to the meetings. Um, they had them scheduled every few hours. Mm-hmm. And when they weren't having meetings, they had other they would have other addicts from around the world that would like be on there hanging out waiting for a meeting. So there was usually at least one or two people on there that I could talk to if something happened or if I had a problem. Yeah. So you went from chatting with men that you were acting out with to chatting with recovering addicts. Yes. But same behavior. I mean, same, like, same process, right? Same habits that I had developed, which for me was an easy way to kind of transition. It was an easy way to kind of go from, I want to act out to, I think I need to fix myself in some way. And 
some of the people I talked to were just as screwed up as me, and some had a lot of good things to say to me. You know, and I could kind of tell which ones were which. I just didn't care because I just was desperate not to be alone with myself, yeah. I think. So this was a 12-step community yes. that you were accessing. Yes. Okay. okay, so that so you went from workbook by yourself to a 12-step community online. Yes. How did you make, what made you decide you needed something more than that? Or did you? I don't know. Well, okay, so here's the preface. In the program that I was doing online, um, I don't really feel like I was doing the program that I was participating in. Um, the You could form your own sobriety definition. So um, masturbation could be could, didn't mean I was not sober in that program if I decided that masturbation was okay. Mm-hmm. So, and which I did because at that time I couldn't let go of that. Yeah. It was just like, it was probably a little too much stress-wise for me to let go of that initially. Um, so in that program, other than masturbation, I kept relapsing every 90 days. So I'd always continued masturbating. I just hadn't done anything else that I had been doing before with contacting men and things like that. But every around every 90 days, it, it might have been more at one point. I don't remember. But there was at least two or three of those 90-day periods where I kept relapsing. And I'm like, this is a pattern now. Yeah. This is not good. And what relapse, is the problem? And, yeah, that's a problem, right? Yeah. So, so what'd you do? Okay, so that's when I said to myself, I should see what kind of local meetings there are. You know, see what's out there. I was looking at the program I was with initially because... Um, what program were you with initially? We can uh, okay, SLAA. Uh-huh. So it's Sex Love Addicts Anonymous. Right. And I... Don't even know. I didn't even ever attend a local meeting for them. I don't even know why I didn't. And so, and I don't have a good answer for that. So I just never went. And so I said, well, there are other programs, right? I thought that's what I thought to myself. There's lots of programs. So I'm going to look up others. And I thought, I don't know if I'll find any in this town, but I'm going to look. Yeah. <laughs> and so I looked it up and I found a couple. And I wasn't looking for women's only meetings or anything like that. I was just looking for face-to-face meetings with other sex addicts. Because I didn't want it to be an AA meeting or some kind of a generic meeting. I needed a sex addiction meeting. And so uh, I attended. There was two different locations that I attended the first week. And at the first meeting, there was like one woman and like three men. And it was in this tiny little office building room. Um, And it was really like awkward. (laughs) But I was really glad that there was a woman there. Because I was like, I don't, I'm not sure if I would have stayed if it had been only a bunch of guys staring at me. But I stayed. There was this lady there. She was nice. I stayed. And the guys seemed okay. You know, no one was creepy. So, sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) But, yeah. So then the next meeting I went to is where I met you. And there was a lot of people at that meeting. But you were the only other woman that I remember. There might have been another one, but I only remembered you being there. And so those were the first two meetings I went to. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, like a month or so later. That was in June of 2013. And so... Probably about a month later in July is when I asked you to be my sponsor, I think. Mm-hmm. Maybe you remember better than I do. <laughs> right around there, yeah. Somewhere around there. And I thought that was really great because I had tried to get um, another guy who was a longtime 12-step program person, worker, whatever you want to call him, um, to be like a temporary sponsor to just get like – I just basically wanted like a to-do list. Like just give me some stuff to do. And, you know – I will say right now, having trying to have a guy as a sponsor sucks if they're trying to stay sober because um, they're not going to do things like meet alone with you and, and well, just... Well, no, they shouldn't, right? Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so when I say he sucked as a sponsor, it's not because he was a bad person. It's because he was being a good addict in recovery. 
<laughs> so he gave me a few things to do and then like said, good luck finding a woman sponsor. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> We're going to pause Lee's story here and pick up in our next episode for the women's series, which will be episode 22 next week. I'm so grateful for Lee and her willingness to put herself out there and to share her story and her experience. You've kind of heard a little bit about her background and how she got into recovery. And in our next episode, we're going to spend time talking about what has her journey looked like? How has that been for her and what has worked for her and where she's at now in her recovery? I'm grateful for all of you women out there for everything that you do. I know our stories are so varied and so different but each of us shares that common, that common desire for escape, that common intimacy disorder that, that causes problems for us in our lives. And I'm so grateful that we have the opportunity to be able to share with each other and be able to talk about the things that are going on for us. Ladies, as always, I want you to know that no matter where you're at in your life, no matter what's going on, no matter how you feel right now in this moment, you are worth recovery, 100% worth recovery. I think about you, I pray for you, I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.